0: Hi, and welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge Podcast. I'm your host, editor of Maduni Christian, and I'm joined again today by my friend and colleague, Edward Ned Russell. As we talk about two large aircraft orders, Porter Airlines in Canada has ordered a, up to 80 um, Embraer E 195 E2 jets. I just tripped over that, excuse me. And uh, its, first, its first jet aircrafts. And United and Mesa are ordering electric airplanes. Will it work? We, d- we get into these issues in this week's episode. I'm thank- I want to thank you for joining us. Once again, if you have any feedback, reach me at mu at skiff.com. You can reach Ned at er at skiff.com. Check us out at airlineweekly.com. A new uh, issue of the, the weekly drops every Monday, and we update the site throughout the week. Hey there, Ned Russell. How are you?
1: Hey Madhu, I'm good. How are you today?
0: Thanks for joining me on the Airline Weekly Lounge, and thanks to all our listeners for joining us again this week as we talk about all things airlines. So Ned, let's talk. There's been a lot of news this this week. We're recording this on Tuesday, July the 13th, and already there's been a ton of news. There um, has.
1: We're <clears throat> two days in, and we've got two aircraft orders. Um, and more potential uh, later this week, but we'll talk and about that later. Two
0: kind of <laughs> revolutionary aircraft orders. Let's start with the big one up north, which is not a huge in the number of aircraft, but it's big in the way it changes a business. And that's Porter Airlines. Ned, yes, you come the story. You know, Take it away. Would, uh,
1: yeah, Madhu, I would, I would correct you. You know, it's up to eighty aircraft, and that is a huge number of aircraft for You're an right. airline Porter's size. Porter Airlines in Canada. They operate less than thirty aircraft today, so we're talking about. If they take all those jets, they would nearly quadruple their entire fleet. That's a big deal.
0: That's a good point. I guess I've lost sight of it with these 270 aircraft orders that we've been talking about, like United's a couple of weeks ago. So, yes, you're exactly right. That would quadruple Porter's fleet. But it's even more interesting to me than Porter expanding in size is the way it sort of transforms Porter.
1: Absolutely. So – as as our listeners will know, Porter has flown for the last uh fifteen or so years, uh primarily entirely flying Q four hundred turboprops from Toronto's very convenient downtown Billy Bishop Billy Bishop Airport, two points around eastern Canada in the northeast. Basically, if you draw a line, all the routes are about a thousand miles max. Right. That yeah. where this they go. But Billy Bishop Cannot uh, they cannot fly jets in there? First of all, it's barred under a uh, thing called the Tripartite Agreement, which is between the federal government, the province of Ontario, and the port of Toronto, I believe.
0: Madhu? Yes, and there was some there was an effort a few years ago to get that changed because Porter was going to foot the bill to extend the uh, yes. the runway, right?
1: I was going to get there, Madhu, but yes, thank you. <laughs> Yeah, so there's this. Jets are banned at the airport, plus the runway is too short. And Porter had planned to foot the bill to fly then CS100 aircraft on some of these longer routes, but that uh, which let
0: me stop you there, which is the Bombardier C Series at the time. Yes, now now the Airbus Airbus A220. Yes, so that
1: deal died in 2015, and the new Embraer order is a is a bit of a reset for for Porter. They're going to fly the jets on routes from uh, Ottawa, Montreal, Halifax, and Toronto Pearson, not Billy Bishop.
0: Which is interesting. So these are, these were not only Porter's first jets, and they're Embraer E195 E2s, right? That's correct. And, and this is actually the,
1: the first order for the E2 in North America. I too. was going to say
0: that, so. making them the first North American operator of the aircraft. But the move to Pearson is huge. I mean, to, uh, as you said, Porter and its raccoon critter have always flown from um, from. I'll Billy say Medu loves
1: the raccoon. Everybody, Just I do. FYI.
0: I do. I love the raccoon. I really do. Send
1: all <laughs> your raccoons to Medu, please.
0: <laughs> I like that raccoon, raccoon in particular, not the ones in my backyard. But I we like digress. Um, but yes, they were always they they this move to Pearson is kind of a big deal because they are taking on um, two two Canada's. Largest carriers, WestJet. I wouldn't and Air say Canada. two. I would say the Canada's largest. The <laughs> yeah, largest. Right. Yes.
1: Exactly. So Air Canada, of course, has their largest hub in Toronto at Pearson, and WestJet has a, a large operation there. You know, they call it a hub. It's not Air Canada size, but it is definitely a large operation. And now you're going to have Porter coming in there and and pitting itself against those two airlines. Now, I spoke to Porter CEO Michael DeLuce, and what he told me is, the, is Porter sees. A structural decrease in capacity in the Canadian market. Hmm. And that would kind of, you know, he didn't go into details, but it, he was referring to Air Canada WestJet because when I asked about Transat, he said, we don't consider Transat a competitor. So, them aside. which is
0: interesting. I mean, let's stop there for a second because we talked about this a few weeks ago. Um, Transat is trying to transform itself into the third Canadian network carrier moving right. away from its vertically integrated holiday business to right. actually flying sort of scheduled routes from Quebec City and Montreal to all over Canada and Europe.
1: But as you talked about a few weeks ago, Madu, Transat is still focused on the leisure segment of right. the market. Their smallest plane, the a321 Neo, will seat roughly 199 passengers right so they are they function in a very different space than what Porter is going. Their, the E2s will seat roughly 136 passengers. Porter hasn't set their configuration, but that's the standard on a Embraer. And um, Porter's main market is sort of that premium leisure business travel, not the budget conscious travelers that transit's going for. But
0: look, look I mean... It, this is interesting because Porter carved out a, I mean, it hasn't flown since March of 2020, we should say that. And it has delayed its restart several times to, till now saying September. September 8th. Michael
1: just reiterated the September 8th date when I spoke to right. him.
0: As Canada has reopened, it can, it, it thinks it can, can, um, resume service on September 8th, but, uh. Before the pandemic, Porter carved out a pretty unique niche, right? I mean, these sort of short-haul flights to, as you said, Eastern Canada, Atlantic Canada, and the Northeast of the U.S. from a very, very convenient airport. And now it's going – It's, I mean, it's sort of – a. it will keep its uh, its Billy Bishop operation, but it's going to expand into something where it doesn't have a niche, like Pearson into – taking on Air Canada and WestJet at Pearson. That's what does it bring to the table that uh that well those two. You know they're bidding that have.
1: they're their quirky product, which they, you know, is a little bit, you know, more upscale than WestJet and Air Canada, at least they would like to say. Uh but then also Porter is gonna be flying these 130 some odd seat jets and they think that they can connect nonstops that currently lack or have l- few nonstop options with the mm-hmm. small planes. Now, the flip side of that, and, and to a degree they're right, WestJet is focused on taking uh, new MAX 8s and eventually MAX 10s, and those seat uh, 170 plus passengers. So that's that's the focus of their fleet. The WestJet still has 737 700s. And Air Canada, on the other side, is also focused on taking more MAX 8s with 169 passengers. So Porter, to a degree, is right about that. But Air Canada, as we all know, is one of the early operators of the a 220. And mm-hmm. so they're taking a two twenty three hundreds that are, are very nicely pointed. I got a chance to look at one last year. And they're flying those on uh, similar routes that I think Porter wants to fly. So it's it's interesting. They're going to be pitting themselves against each other a bit. Though, Deleuze was pretty confident. I asked about competition. He said, we compete with WestJet and Air Canada already. Uh, every Or we did, at least, when they were flying. And they, they felt he was confident about their potential to compete with them in other markets. So hmm. interesting play.
0: Yeah, that is interesting play. I mean, and also, you know, uh, the question has to be asked. I mean, Canada's a vast country geographically, but it's a very, it has a very small population. of about, about 37 million. Right. And I think I remember reading that about 80% of that population is within 50 miles of the U.S. border. So it's yes. kind of a, it's spread out along this very, very the longest actually, one of the longest land borders in the world. Um, but uh, does the question has to be asked? Does Canada have the population to support now four network carriers?
1: And that's a very good question, Madhu. I think we're going to have to wait and see about that. I, I'm skeptical about it myself. You know, it's. Uh... It is a good question. If we remember, Canada has never had more than two domestic uh, network carriers in its history. Mm-hmm. There was uh, Air Canada and a collection of the local service carriers up until the eighties, when when the local carriers can all amalgamated into Canadian International. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Canadian International never was really that successful, and eventually was bought by Air Canada. And then the merged WestJet. So the country has never had more than two network carriers. So we'll really have to see.
0: Yeah. Yeah, uh, it'll be interesting to see how this one plays out. I wish the Raccoon all the best of luck. And uh,
1: so one, one, one thing we do that, that is interesting is I think the potential for partnerships is also big. Because if oh. you think about it, huh. um, there's a large U.S. airline, <laughs> American, that <laughs> lacks a partner in north of the border since Canadian went away. And uh, Porter could be lining itself up. Porter already partners with JetBlue on its mm-hmm. Billy Bishop flights. And JetBlue is an American partner. Uh, say there's potential
0: there. And there's, you know, some brand alignment. I mean, it's, uh, it's, I mean, just sort of superficially, JetBlue and Porter share a lot of brand characteristics. Somewhat quirky, a little upscale, very high on design. Um, sort of, that would fit, I mean, that would fit with Americans' sort of partnerships with Alaska and, and JetBlue. Huh? And That's I rac- complete
1: conjecture, everyone, but it, yes. it, it, it's potential.
0: <laughs> We're speculating. Um, does the Raccoon have a name?
1: Name him whatever you want him to do.
0: He must have a name.
1: I think that's our next question for Michael DeLoose next time we speak to him.
0: Yes. And if anyone knows, you can contact me at skift.com or you can contact Ned at skift.com And let us know if you know the raccoon's name. All right. And we're back. So Ned, it wasn't just Porter ordering our aircraft. United, United had a, a rather large order again. And I say again, because just two weeks ago, they ordered two, United ordered 270 narrow-body aircraft from
1: Absolutely. traditional well, it's manufacturers. It, <laughs> it's a bit of back to the future for United. They uh, they placed a conditional order for 100 uh, Hart Aerospace ES-19 electric uh, regional aircraft. And so uh, they see, it's, it's a bit, I say future because it's electric and everyone's going sustainable and wants to look to the future, but then back because we haven't seen 19 seaters flying in the u.s on a regular basis since what uh the Colgan crash and when was that
0: 2014 uh, no we maybe actually it was, actually, it was 2012 i think 2012, 2012. It, there, it was
1: it 2009 yeah. we don't anyway, know the date. it's been a long time <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long time 19 seaters have pretty much disappeared from the u.s market and so it's a interesting move on united's part
0: yeah and it's important to say that this United's not doing this alone and um it's kind of a strange deal United and Mesa Air Group the regional carrier are both investing in Heart Aerospace and signaled their intention to eventually order 100 aircraft each um, of these ES19s and um with the options to order 100 more according to heart so it's um it's not I can't really say it's a firm order or any kind of order. It's more an investment in this this company so that they can get to the point where they might be able to fulfill this order. There's a lot of mites there, you might have noticed. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean the biggest mite of all is so um both Mesa and oh all three Mesa heart and United say this aircraft will be ready for market in 2026, which I will remind our listeners is five years from now. It's a bit
1: ambitious when they don't have a propulsion system, they don't have an engine, and they don't have an airframe that's certified. Well, so. they
0: claim to have, they've, they've done a proof of concept with the, four, uh, with the 400 kilowatt motor, I believe, that was driving a turbo pop from a battery pack that they intend to use in their aircraft. But I mean, so maybe they can pull it all together, but the FAA has not – I mean, the main point is the FAA and regulators all around the world have not certified an electric-powered aircraft for commercial flight. So we're talking about a brand-new technology that is going to be flying regional routes in five years. I mean – (laughs) <laughs> it
1: reminds me of, uh, and this not an exact comparison, but of the uh, Technum P twenty twelve Traveler that Cape Air and Technum developed for the nine seater market. You know that. You know, I remember talking to Cape Air for years, and it's in development, it's rolling out, but it, the whole process took longer than anyone planned, and I, I don't want to put a number of years. It was years. I don't want to say how many, but right. uh, and that's for a traditionally powered piston. Play, yeah, you know, and that took longer than anyone expected. Well, the seven eight seven
0: took a long time to be certified, as did the triple seven X and like and um, I mean, triple well, seven X isn't certified. The triple so seven X is not certified. Yeah. Right? It's yeah. it's been a tortured process, and the max took more than a year to be recertified after already going through the certification process. And we're talking about these are all Boeing aircraft. Boeing's been building aircraft for a hundred years. They they and these are relative. I mean. Yes, the triple, or uh, the seven eight seven was new and that it was composite, but it was still a traditional aircraft powered by gas turbine engines. And now we're talking about something that is electric, and um, a whole different propulsion system from an untested manufacturer, um, based in Sweden. And I color, I mean, well, it's it's ambitious to say it'll be there, flying for Mesa and. Um, united in 2026 now let me let's before we i mean you mentioned something earlier about the 19 seat market and that was kind of interesting as well because mesa mesa made a point of saying that you know the there are so many there are many airports including the airport where it was founded um farmington New which Mexico, madu
1: did not know until i told him just so i did not that know that. that was where mesa
0: was founded um that lost all air service because they cannot support an aircraft larger than a 19 or you know below a fifty seater, but airlines have retired those those small aircraft. So potentially this aircraft could uh, restore air service to dozens, if not hundreds, of airports and communities around the country that have lost air services. Airlines have upgauged. Potentially, so that, it, potentially,
1: I think is is a good copy out there, Madhu, you? because you know, first of all, the plane only has a range of two hundred fifty miles, right. uh, and so and that's not very far. You know, you could fly from Washington to Pittsburgh. But you really couldn't get much further than that. Uh, So you've got this small plane. And then uh, something else that has sort of been popping up on my Twitter feed is slots. You have airports like Newark, Newark, O'Hare, San Francisco they don't really have space to suddenly open up uh, slots for lots of new 19-seater flights. Yeah,
0: and that is interesting because, you know, Andrew Nacello, the chief commercial officer at United just a couple weeks ago at announcing the upgauging and the 270 aircraft order, said that, you know, that, would, that order would, when it was completed, would raise United's gauge by 30% on average. And one of the reasons for doing that is they were, wa- not wasting, but they were using valuable slot space in places, in their hubs like Newark, For smaller aircraft and it would just be make more sense to to fly large aircraft so then this as you point out this move to 19 seaters this pivot to 19 seaters is puzzling
1: it really is it makes me wonder if united's plan is to to base these at some of the their hubs that don't have the same restrictions denver and dulles Mm -hmm. when and if they uh do become flying and then they can use it to reopen cities like Farmington, New Mexico, though I'd like to point out Farmington, New Mexico is actually more than 250 miles from Denver. So I'd love to see what Mesa's plans there for restoring service. But Albuquerque. We shall see. It's
0: 189 miles.
1: Yeah, but like uh, like you pointed out, Madu, there's no airline hub in Albuquerque. So
0: <laughs> I mean you have to wonder about this this move on United's part. It's very it's savvy. I mean, if you think of the three let's leave aside the two hundred well Even with the 270 aircraft order, I noticed United made a big point of saying how many jobs these aircraft will bring to United. It was something like 20,000 or or something like that. Um, Earlier this year, uh, United announced its part, and United and Mesa said they were ordering air taxis, EVTO, however you say that, EVTOLS, (laughs) electric vertical takeoff and landing uh, aircraft from Archer Aviation. And then uh, United. A few weeks ago said it was planning to order, uh, what, 50 supersonic aircraft from Boom Aerospace? Boom, the, these would be sort of all premium aircraft flying between Tokyo and San Francisco, for example. the United said all three of these aircraft will join its fleet by 2029. I think Boom was the last one that will join the fleet or be ready for market. Um, color me skeptical. none of these has anything remotely that can remotely be considered a tested airframe or propulsion system. In fact, boom doesn't have a propulsion unit. Um, They all have to go through the rigorous certification process. Uh, It's, it's, uh, it's very interesting to me why they're doing this. I have my suspicions. I can get to that. (laughs) Well, I mean, I think
1: we both have our suspicions, Madhu and, Mine would be more PR than, yes. than anything else, but uh, I'd love. Yeah, w- what are yours?
0: That's exactly it. I mean, yeah. look, we're talking about it. Uh, we're talking about it now. I've seen the boom. I saw the boom thing on my local news, which is one of the only times I've ever seen anything airline related that wasn't, you know, some horrific delay in San Francisco. Uh, United has earned itself hundreds and hundreds of articles about these three aircraft now, and uh, it, you know, it, it's great. Public relations as it's trying to climb out of uh, the coronavirus pandemic, so it, right. hats off to my former colleagues. And let me just uh, caveat, you know, once again, disc- my little disclaimer: I worked for United's public relations department for a little while. But anyway, um, it's uh, it's it's great, you know. They they got it's a PR coup, but uh, I think you and I, the airline reporters, are a little skeptical that any of these aircraft will be flying in the next seven years.
1: Absolutely. And hey, you place orders, they get a lot of fanfare and orders disappear from uh, order books, too. I'm yeah. uh, just thinking about all the conditional orders for the MRJ, the Mitsubishi Regional yes. Jet, that will probably never to come to fruition. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's we're still a long ways from seeing any of these planes in the United Colors. Yeah,
0: it's really, really good uh, public relations. All right, let's leave United alone for a minute and talk about something you covered last week, and that's... Uh, um, Another thing we're skeptical about, and that's <laughs> low cost long haul. There's a new entrance.
1: Yeah. So if uh, everyone remembers, uh, well, Wow Air uh, wowed everybody with its low fares and massive losses flying in Iceland. And flights to Cleveland,
0: Atlantic. for example. Yep.
1: Yep. And they shut down in 2019 before the pandemic. Well, you know, a bunch of former Wow Air executives have gotten together, and they're trying it again. Uh, Play Airlines, a new Icelandic low-cost ho- low uh, long-haul startup, began flying at the end of June, and they just went public on the uh, Iceland, well, the Nordic Nasdaq First Exchange, Nasdaq Nordic First Exchange. Right. I might yeah, not have gotten that exactly right. Uh, not for a ton of money; shares were trading at 20 cents a share uh, last I checked. But uh, they're they're moving forward. They've got capital. They've got planes, and they're flying. And they plan to they're, they're flying to Europe initially, and they plan to be flying to the U.S. by next April.
0: Why? Why? I mean, you know, even before the pandemic, when when airlines it was it was almost impossible for airlines to lose money. I I'm exaggerating, but airlines were making a ton of money. Low cost long haul. Didn't work. I mean, it it uh, it did succeed in driving prices down, and even Scott Kirby of United said they did a lot of damage. But um, the, none of these have succeeded. I mean, Norwegian, the big sort of the the OG of them all, like has refocused is now flying in the Nordics. So uh, so why why are, why do they keep going back to this well? What's your best guess, Nick?
1: Well, you know, so I was looking at the the IPO prospectus, and and they basically said the coming. <laughs> It's interesting because the business plan started before the coronavirus. It started in June 2019, just two months after Wow shut down. So I'm sure this has been, hmm? yes, (laughs) I'm sure this has been modified, but, you know, they they talk about, they see a surge in leisure traffic coming out of the COVID crisis that will, you know, long haul, long haul low cost to take advantage of, but it's not different from anything we saw for WoW Air and Norwegian. They really didn't I mean, they were going to have some of the lowest unit costs, x fuel across the Atlantic, you know, which is critical for long-haul low cost. But WoW had low costs, and they didn't make it work. And yeah. I, was, I was speaking to um, a couple of, of sources, and one thing they told me is the problem with, with long-haul low cost across the Atlantic, at least, is the market's very peaky. Mm-hmm. It's easy to make money in June, July, and August when everyone's flying back and forth uh, from Europe and planes are full. Right. It's a lot harder to do with the rest of the year, and the low cost model requires high load factors throughout the year. Right. And you know that's why we saw Wow Air shut down in March. They were still they were coming off of the winter. They you know it's just, they they couldn't you know make
0: it through. I mean, they have a couple Wow well, uh, Play. <laughs> it's not Wow well, Play while wow, part two play yes. play has a lot of things oh let's not forget norse atlantic another new entrance oh entrance yes yep. that, that will be starting flights soon once it gets an aoc whenever that may be and but, a
1: u.s uh foreign carrier uh, right carrier permits. Yep. The,
0: you know play has some things going for it and as as do all new entrants right now i mean aircraft are cheap still there's a lot of uh uh aircraft, yep. you know um Retired aircraft, or there's a lot of inventory sloshing around. There's a lot of air, airline talent, especially in Europe, which didn't have some, sort of the robust uh, payroll support program that fe- and federal bailouts that we did here in the U.S. So there's a lot of airline talent sloshing around. Financing is pretty cheap. Um, but so, they're, they're, you know, the input costs or the startup costs are lower than they would have been. But to your point... They're entering a crowded field and a very peaky field, where you know it's it's difficult to to. I mean, how how do you make leisure work across the Atlantic in February?
1: Exactly, that's a really good question. I and their business plan really didn't have uh, the prospectus, at least didn't didn't really say what their plan was for for that. So it didn't work for Wow. It didn't work for Norwegian Air. I mean. All the luck to them. But I'm reminded of that, Maxim, that, you know, the airline industry is a great way to destroy capital. Yeah. So it, it seems like it might be coming that way again. But, you know, like we, we will wait and see what happens to play.
0: Right. Well, we have a couple, a few minutes left. And uh, I guess we should talk about earnings. Delta start re- kicks it off. We're recording this on Tuesday the 13th. Delta kicks it off on Wednesday the 14th. Um, what are you expecting to hear?
1: You know, I'm expecting to hear more rosy outlook, uh, like we've been hearing. They're probably going to update their financial targets. And considering the way the U.S. has gone with, with the rapid recovery, I, ma- I imagine those financial targets are going to be rosy, quote-unquote. Now I say quote-unquote because they are still losing money. Yes. So, you know, rosy will be when they expect to turn to a profit. But one of the questions that I know both Madu and I are following closely is, What happens on September 30th or October 1st, really, when the last round of payroll support from the U.S. federal government uh, expires? And right now, you've got every major U.S. carrier basically has two-thirds, 75% of their labor costs covered by federal funds. So there's still a lot of questions out there. I think, uh, yeah, uh, it'll be interesting to see how they message that.
0: Yeah, because as we've said before, and as everyone probably who's listening to this knows, I mean, the the full freight of their uh, of their largest expense labor will come due on October first. And these these airlines have not significantly furloughed or are significantly downsized to you know, they've lost they've taken I mean, yes, they've downsized with voluntary buy um, separation, buyouts and reduced management headcount, but they're still operating basically, you know, what they they were uh in 2019 in terms of frontline staff. So uh, that's a, that's a big bill to pay with fewer flights.
1: Absolutely. Now, one interesting thing I'm, I'm looking to uh, see if they confirm is the air current has reported they've bought some used jets. So, Hmm. It'll be, uh, I've, I've talked to a few sources and they said if uh, deals would likely be announced during the runnings call. And these uh, used A350s from LATAM and 737-900ERs uh, from Lion Air are uh, what's the, what the air current is reporting. So it'll be interesting to see what they say about that. If they've you know, Delta is known for swooping in and buying cheap used, used jets when they're cheap. So it's uh, very much from the Delta playbook if they did this again.
0: And LATAM, you mentioned LATAM. You had a really good story last week about LATAM. I did.
1: So LATAM is in a bit of a tussle with their unsecured creditors committee that claims that Delta and Qatar Airways uh, purposely defrauded LATAM and LATAM creditors when they canceled uh, several deals for A350s with the airline in the days just prior to their Chapter 11 bankruptcy filing in May 2020. So. It's, uh, the, the unsecured creditors committee is petitioning the bankruptcy court for, uh, to, to get the, and you know, you, you know this word better than I do, Madhu, but, I, uh, to basically have the authority to take these claims to court outside of the, to sue the outside of court. So they have to, what is the term Madhu? They have to get, <laughs> they have to, it, there's a legal term for it, but it's, it's interesting because, you know, bankruptcies always bring out lots of all the little things that work, but. You know, Latium is, uh, it's, it's, yeah, Latium is, not, and its creditors are not getting along at the moment.
0: <laughs> yeah, as you said, covering a bankruptcy, there's always interesting things that come seeping out of the, out of the, the woodwork. So, uh, definitely something to keep an eye on. All right, Ned, thanks for joining us. That wraps up another. Episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge. Thanks for joining us. If you have any feedback for us, especially especially if you know the name of Porter's Raccoon, you can contact Ned at er at skip.com. You can contact me at emusskift.com. Uh thank you for joining us, and we will listen listen for us again next week. Thanks, video. Have a good one. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge Podcast. Should you have comments or questions, drop editor Madhu Unikrishnan on note at mu at skiff.com. Of course, check out airlineweekly.com for a new issue every Monday and updates on the latest airline news throughout the week.